going with me to Luke chapter number 14 tonight. Thank you for being in church and being faithful. And I've enjoyed the service. Thank you for singing how you sang and for the testimony. I appreciate that. I like that because you got some preaching the testimony. I know you sing, but I like it when you preach. And then we had some preaching during the singing just now. I like that. If I could get half as happy as he was, I'll be doing all right tonight. I like that. I wanted you to sing it again. I like it. You ever seen somebody sing... He, somebody touched me and act like, well, it was somebody who shouldn't have been touching them. I mean, they're just miserable about it, you know. But uh, I, I like it when it's sort of like, I kind of like the fact he touched me. That was good. And I'm looking forward to this week being with you. I flew out last night about 11, 11 p.m. Uh, our time out there in the country of California, where I'm from. And I left there, got to Atlanta about 6.20 a.m. All of a sudden got all my constitutional rights back. And anyhow... Had a layover, then flew into Tennessee, then we went out to eat, and then I went into a coma. And so now I don't know where I am. And somebody said there's something else happening tonight, but I can't think of what it is. It's just it's not even on my mind. I can't remember what it is. But anyway, I think it starts about 10:30 tonight. All right, Luke chapter number 14. I do want to give you a thought to kick off our meeting this week. I'm honored to be with you and praying God will meet with us. And I don't want to waste your time, and I don't want to waste our time. And here's the good news: God doesn't either. And I know we want to see something, but as bad as we want to see God do something, God wants to move even worse. He's just looking for a place, looking for some people that he can pour out a blessing on. And I like that he is more than. Anything you can expect, God can exceed that. Anything you could pray for, God can do over that. Anything that we could ever ask, God can blow our mind with what he could do if we just deposit our little bit of faith in how big he is. It's, it's hard to believe and hard to tell what God might do even in this meeting. You got somebody lost you'd like to see saved? Somebody backslidden you want to see them get right? Maybe your own heart you haven't eaten? God can do it. And if we just start this thing out having faith in God, there's no telling what he might do. Luke chapter number 14, we're going to begin reading here uh, in verse number 12. And I'll read down a little ways into the chapter and give you the thought for tonight. And sometimes when I preach, I have several pages of, of an outline. And sometimes when I preach, I just scribble it down in my Bible. And you're getting a scribbled one tonight. So if I cuss or anything, it's because I couldn't read it. It's just sloppy. And it's not my fault. It's my, hand, it's my English teacher growing up. All right, verse number, verse number uh, of uh, 12. The Bible said in Luke chapter 14. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper. By the way, that's the context for the next portion of the chapter. Call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, nor thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, Here's a parable. A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. You know what an excuse is, right? It's a lie wearing church clothes. It's just a dignified lie is all that it is. Now this next man might have been telling the truth. I don't know, but here's what he said in verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife. And anything can go. I don't know what happened in his life, but 
He said, therefore, I cannot come. She's got the leash short already, and she's yanking it tonight. Some of you fellows would say amen, but you're living where that man's living in verse 20. Verse number 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things, then the master of the house being angry. Now let me stop there. Here's what's happened so far. There's a man, and the Bible refers to him as the master. It's a great man. It's a man of wealth, a man of power, a man of means, and a man who can provide for those who cannot provide for themselves. He wants to have fellowship. There's been a wedding, if you read in Matthew 22. In fact, it's his son that got married, and he wants to have a party. He wants to invite these men to come, these people to come to this wedding, and he goes, and these first three that are approached offer an excuse. The first man said, I bought a piece of ground without even looking at it. That's a dumb excuse. That's like saying, I just bought me a house. I need to go see what it looks like, you know? Nobody does that. I hope you don't, unless you got a lot of money. He lied. The second man said, I bought five tractors, five used cars, basically, five yoke of oxen. And I never even looked at them. Now, who does that? You're not going to go buy a bunch of used cars or any kind of vehicle and not go test drive it. He said, I better go check it out and make sure those oxen aren't leaking oil. You know, so I got to go see what, what's going on. And the third guy said, I got married. And the servant said, that's enough. Just stop right there. I understand. But anyway, he said, no, it's an excuse. I cannot come. He goes back and tells the master of the house, and the master of the house gets upset. I mean, who wouldn't want to come to his meal? It's a free meal. It's a great meal. It's not just a snack. It's a great supper. And here's what he said in verse 21. Being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly. You know why quickly? Because it ought not take you long to decide whether or not you want to have supper at the master's house. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. What a crowd. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. So he goes out and brings in this motley crew of broken people and battered people, blind people, begging people, people that cannot provide for themselves. And, of course, they want to come. He wraps them in a wedding garment. They come marching into the house. They sit down at the table, and yet there's still room. The master doesn't want to eat till the table's filled. So he said, you've got to go deeper. You've got to go farther. I want you to reach out to where most people wouldn't go. He said, I want you to go. And here's where he says... He said, I want you to go, in verse 23, the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges. That's a wild place, that's a wilderness place, that's a wicked place, that's a wandering place, but that's where he wanted him to go. And he said, I want you to go to that crowd and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none, that's a scary word, none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. The appeal went from many Anybody had the opportunity to come to once they rejected, he said, now none of those fellows will get a taste because they decided they didn't want to sit at my table. Now, if they would have wanted to, they could have had a seat at the table and they could have had everything that was on the table but because they weren't interested in getting what I was going to provide for them. I'll just take it to someplace else. I'll give it to somebody who's hungry for it. I'll give it to somebody who knows they need it. Somebody who'll be thankful for it. If that crowd doesn't want it, then I'll give it to that crowd over there. Now, this week, we got a decision that we can make. I don't always, when I enter into a meeting, preach sort of an introduction type of a message, but tonight it sort of is. We got a decision we can make tonight. You better believe it. The table will be spread, and it won't be dictated by the, uh, the, uh, the, the message that I preach. I'm just saying the Lord always has what we need. But you and I got to make a decision whether or not we want to have a seat at the table. There's a seat provided, but will you claim it? Will you take it? For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought. You'll never get a taste if you don't come to the table. 
Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight. I pray for liberty to preach. I pray you'd help us get this truth across and help us to see this picture. In Jesus' name, amen. On more than one occasion, our Bible brings us to supper time. In fact, you read the Bible often, over and over again, you find us at the table. Feasts and fasting and feasting are just central themes of the Bible. In fact, in Genesis chapter number 1, God created certain plants and gave animals so that man could have something to eat. You sit down at the table, you'll find it significant for many reasons. When you sit down at the table, it is family time. When you sit down at the table, it is fellowship time. When you sit down at the table, it is friendship time. You study the Bible, and it's not about the grub on the table. It's about the God who put the grub on the table. So when you come to the table, it's a very important time. I was studying it out, and you find men would sit at a table for different reasons. Men would sit at the table for covenant reasons. Men would sit at the table for promise reasons. And then men sit down at the table for prophetic reasons. It's interesting to me, you find men sitting at a table in the book of Genesis, and you also find folks sitting around a table in the book of Revelation. You find Abraham sitting at a table with God in the opening book of the Bible, and you find the bride sitting around the table with their bridegroom in the closing book of the Bible. If you read the book of Psalms, you find out that many of those psalms are really songs that are written to be sung around the table. They sing about the blessings of God and the goodness of God and the hand of God that provided everything that is spread before us. Israel in the Old Testament would mark their life by seasons at the table. In fact, their world would revolve around seven major feast days, and you know them, but those feast days would be Passover at the table. Unleavened bread at the table. First fruits at the table. Pentecost at the table. The Feast of Trumpets, they're at the table. The Day of Atonement, a feast, they'd be at the table. And then the Tabernacles, they'd be at the table. And I'll say it again from Genesis all the way through Revelation. God puts a premium on His people taking a seat at His table. I think about the question, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? But then it's answered, thou hast prepared a table. And I'm glad God is in the table setting business. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. And He invites His chosen people to come and dine. In John chapter 21, Peter's backslidden and he's taken some fellows with him and they fished all night naked and they haven't caught anything. But there's a fire burning there on the side of the sea and there's fish laid there on in bread. A voice cries out, have you any meat? And Peter has to get on it and say, nope, ever since we left the will of God, we've been empty. We don't have anything. We got no provision. And Jesus makes a request and says, drop your net down and he fills it with fish. And then he said, fellas, come and dine. What he's saying is, what you don't have, I have. What you need, I can supply. What you're looking for I've already found and if you'll come to where I am I've got a table spread and I can satisfy the longing soul every time come and dine now you think about when he made that request he said I want you to come eat with me at the table but when was it it was early in the morning it was the first meal of the day it was breakfast time you know what breakfast is that's the resurrection meal that's after you've been dead in sleep all night and you're rising up to life again what he's saying is you come sit at my 
my table. You'll find resurrection at my table. You'll find revival at my table. You know what breakfast is? It is the breaking of the fast. You haven't had anything in a long time. Your body's been in a state of wantonness and now all of a sudden the fast is over and it's fulfilled. That means the morning's done. He's saying I can satisfy you if you'll come sit at my table. I thought about Paul night. It's been slumbering. It's just like it's dead. But then breakfast comes and the metabolism kicks in and the body comes to life again. I tell you why the church needs to come to the table. It'll wake up a sleeping church. It'll revive a dead church. I think about what breakfast does. It gives some clearness to the mind so it can think right. Breakfast proceeds labor and it precedes sleep. It's a very important meal and Jesus said come and dine in Matthew 11, 19. I'll slow down in about two hours. In Matthew 11, 19, it said the Son of Man came eating and drinking. In Revelation 3 and verse 20, Jesus stands outside that backslidden church and he knocks at the door and here's why. He said, I wish you'd let me come in because if you let me come in, he said, we'd sit down together at the table and it'd be supper time. I think about Jesus in our Bible. In the Old Testament, he is the manna. In the Old Testament, he is the water. In the Old Testament, he is honey. In the Old Testament, he is milk. In the New Testament, he is our bread of life. One of these days, he'll call us up to heaven. At his table, we'll sit down. Christ will gird himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. The word of God is likened unto food. The will of God is likened unto food. The work of God is likened unto food. And tonight, the Christian life is not supposed to be a life of fasting continually, but there ought to be some feasting every once in a while. Can I say there's too many Christians that are living on empty when they ought to be living on full. They're living in the shallows when they ought to be kicking in the deep. They're living in the lack when they'll be kicking in the surplus. And why is it? It's because they won't come to their seat at the table. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's not just important. It is imperative that you and I eat every once in a while. I think about that illustration of this spoiled little boy is a picky eater. Our son's a picky eater. He'll eat cardboard. He'll eat muds, mud. He'll even eat other things. But he won't eat half the stuff we put on his plate. This little boy was a picky eater. He'd eat everything on his plate but six lima beans. And I don't hold him too guilty for that. We understand lima beans will be served at the marriage supper of Satan one day in hell. Uh, but anyway, he, he couldn't do it. He tried everything he could to get rid of those lima beans. He smashed them down and cut them up, chewed them up, and spit them in the napkin. But they were there. His mama said, you can't get up till you clean your plate. You know, that's capital punishment. Uh, she said, you can't leave until you clean your plate. He said, mama, I can't eat another thing. He said, if I take another bite, I'm going to explode. I'm full. She said, that's too bad. She said, I got a big chocolate cake for dessert. He said, I think I could handle some chocolate cake. She said, I thought you were full. He said, well, my bean belly's pretty full, but my cake belly's running on empty. And here's what I'm saying tonight. It's not that we are so full we couldn't get a little bit more from God. It's that our appetite has been directed at the wrong things. A lot of Christians are feasting tonight, but they're not feasting in the right places. Psalm 34 and verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the, that the Lord is good. And I say, if you ever get a taste of God and how good He is, you won't be satisfied with the beans of this world. You want some cake from the hand of the Lord. Amen. Tonight what I'm saying is this. I don't know what God's going to do. And I don't know what's on God's agenda. But I know 
know what God wants to do. Can blow our mind to be better than we could ever imagine. But you gotta find your seat at the table. You know what a hunger is? A hunger is a compelling desire. A hunger is an advertisement that there's an empty place that needs to get filled. Just like that heart that pants after the water brook. Our soul went along after our God. Oh my, how we need a hunger for Him. A desire and a craving and a lust for God. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench the thirsting of my soul. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all those other things, some good things, some more than this, will be added unto you. Thank God He'll satisfy you. He'll meet the need if you'll come to the table. If you have a need... He can meet it. If you have a lack, He can meet it. If you're running low, He can meet it. If you feel empty, He can meet it. If there's a deficit, He can meet it. If you're depleted, He can meet it. Oh, listen, we ought to say, Lord, I want you. I want to seat at your table. Too much empty Christianity today. I'm pretty sure Abraham hungered for God. I think Noah hungered for God. I think David hungered for God. We go through it, Elijah hungered for God, and on and on and on it goes. And I want to ask you tonight, are you hungry enough to sit at this table? Now let's get to the text here. Verse 16 through 24 is a parable. And you know what a parable is? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly application. There's many ways that we could preach this. We could preach it to Israel. We could preach it concerning the Gentiles. We could preach it looking to the past. We could preach it looking prophetically. Or we could preach it in the present. I believe we could take this, and it's not wrong to do it. We could preach it evangelistically about God going after sinners. I also believe we could preach it eschatologically and look forward on God's prophetic calendar. By that I mean this, it deals with the tribulation, I believe, to some extent. But I think also it can apply to today. It's a story about a wedding reception. Now, if you go to Matthew 22, and you don't have to go there tonight, we find out that there is a man, that I think that parallels this passage. There's a man that is putting on a, a party, a reception for his son that has just been married. The Bible tells us a lot about this man here in our text, and we're going to look at it tonight. I want you to notice, first of all, the man in this story. In verse number 16, see what it says? Then said unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. So here's the story. There's this man. He's sort of a man of mystery. We don't know about his beginning. We don't read anything about his end. He's just a man. He's just there in the story. We don't know a whole lot about him except for how he's described. This man has a plan to host a great supper at his house. And here's what the Bible says. Number one, this is a great man. What that tells me is this is a man of power. This is a man of means. This is a man that can do what others maybe cannot do. In fact, I would say in that town, in this parable of a story, there's no man like that man. He's got the biggest house. He's got the nicest furniture. He's got the largest bank account. He owns a lot of cattle and a lot of hills. I mean, that man's a great man. But not only is he a great man, I can tell by the text, he's a gracious man. Why is that? Because nobody came to him and said, you ought to hold a supper. It was on his heart to host that supper. And then he tells him, go out and invite these folks to come. Listen, those folks didn't even think about that man, but I'm glad he was thinking about them while they weren't thinking about him. He said, oh, you know what? I got everything I could ever need except for fellowship. I tell you what I'd like. I'd like to have some fellowship. I'd like to have some people to come and sit around my table. So there's this man. He's a master. He's a great man. He's a gracious man. And he's a giving man. He's not going to ask them to pay. He's not going to ask anything in return. All he wants is their presence at his table. 
the man, but what about this? Here's the meal. Now, that's good, isn't it? Baptist people get excited about that. We don't do everything right, but we always do that well. The meal. Now, think about it. We're not talking about snack time. We're talking about supper time. Amen. We're not talking about Jenny Craig or Slim Fast or even McDonald's. Amen. We're talking about something real here on the table. The Bible says that this man wants to have a supper. And he's going to bid a lot of folks to come. But think about it. If you go back in your free time and look at Matthew 22, it tells us what's going to be on this table. Now, first of all, I want you to see the designation. It says it's a great supper. What does that mean? That means it's not great value stuff on the table. That means it's not cast-offs on the table. That means he didn't go down to the food pantry, get the stuff that's been expired for five years, and then put it out there on the table. That means he went and got the best of the best. I mean, he went and got everything that you could get that would be top shelf and said, that's what I'm going to have at my supper. In fact, you read Matthew 22. He gets the oxen. He gets the fatlings. Doesn't say the first thing about lettuce. Say amen right there. A lot of meat, but not a lot of veggies involved. He said, we're going get that and put it on the table. I want the best of the best for this crowd. Those people who come to that supper are going to eat like they had never eaten before. The designation, it is a great supper. The dish, it's the best of the best. But then you read Matthew 22, there's a special dress. You say, what do you mean? If you're going to come to this supper, you're going to have to wear a wedding garment. But here's the good news. You don't have to put your own, you don't have to buy your own garment. You don't have to find your own garment. You don't have to wrap up in your own garment. He's going to send his servant out to the invites with a garment to put on and then come back to the party. Now, can you imagine this affair? I mean, this table spread. There's empty seats all around it. Somebody is going to claim every one of those seats. Whoever wants it can have it. And they're going to get to eat the best of the best, stuff that blow their mind. And they're going to get to wear a wedding garment that they get for free provided by this man. Then it tells us about the delegates that he goes to see. He said, I want you to go out and find many. I like that word. He says red and yellow, black and white, old and young, rich and poor, tall and short, smart and dumb. He said, I don't care who they are. If they're breathing air, man, they can belly up to the table. I mean, if they just come, that's the only requirement is that they would receive the invitation. It's a free invitation. All they have to do is a whosoever. If that's you, then you can come and eat at this supper. Now, that's a good story right there. This man has it on his heart to be a blessing to these people that don't even maybe know who he is. He gets the best of the best. He said, I don't care who they are, what they look like, if they'll just come, they're more than welcome to come. And then he sends out his servant. So we see a man, the meal. Now watch this. The moment. When do you eat supper? I'm going to get deep. Now hang on. When do you eat supper? Ready? Supper time. That's worth the price of admission. When I, where I grew up, the town where I grew up in had about 2,000 people in it. And that was back before weirdos. I think. I mean, I didn't know of any. We never had to worry about getting on 2020 or, or cold case or whatever those shows. Are. I didn't have to worry about that. We just played out in the neighborhood wherever we wanted to be in everybody's yard, and we just everybody spanked each other's kids. It was fine. If you broke something, then you just walked it off. You know, that's just how it was. But I remember in our little town, there was a, a whistle at the plant downtown that would blow at 5 o'clock. And you'd hear that thing all the way up on the hill where we lived outside of town. You could hear that that whistle began to blow and when that whistle blew I don't care if it was the ninth inning of the World Series of wiffle ball I don't care if it was Cowboys and Indians I don't care if it was son-in-laws and mother-in-laws whatever you're playing you know I don't it doesn't matter I don't care what it was when that whistle blew we better believe it we got on our huffy bikes and we raced her back to the house 
and made sure we were at home. Why is that? Because my dad got off work when that whistle blew, and I understood that when that whistle blew, it was time to eat, right? So here's what I'm trying to say. This man is inviting these people to this meal, but it's at a definite time. It is supper time. It's just a designated window. It's a diminishing time. They don't have forever to accept it. He's saying, if you're going to come eat, you're going to come eat on this day when I call you to come eat. If you don't want it today, then don't come crying to me tomorrow. I kind of thought about that when we set aside a week of meetings like this. We're kind of setting that table for a window of time. And God's saying, if you want it, then you've got opportunity to get it. But don't come crying to me next week because you want to lay out this week. He said, it is supper time right now. If you want it, the whistle's blowing. Come to the table. Now, so far, and I'm not even to where I'm getting, but don't get nervous. I'll get out of here soon. The man, the meal, the moment. But then there's this mitigation. You know what that word is? Me neither. It's just alliterated. But mitigation. To lessen the impact of something. These men that he first goes to begin to make excuses. The Bible tells us that he goes out in verse number 18 and begins. He invites these people. says they all with one consent began to make an excuse. The first man said this, I bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. And I said a minute ago, what that means is he bought him a little ranch house or something like that without even going to tour it. He didn't look at it. He, pat, it didn't, he waived the, the inspection. He didn't care about any of that stuff. He just bought it sight unseen. That's a bad excuse. So then he goes to another fellow and he said, Hey, I, I got a meal planned. The master planned it. The best food you ever have. All you got to do is come uh, to the table and then you can sit there with the master and feast uh, around that table. And he said, I can't come. I bought me five cows the other day. Never even seen them before. And I thought maybe today at supper time is when I'd go check them out. Because kickoff is at supper. Uh, I mean, anyway, he said, I thought... <clears throat> so I thought I'd just go see those things. Back in that day, that's like buying five John Deere's without even looking them over. Because that's what it is, farm equipment, right? Then the next fellow says this. By the way, he's a liar. Then the next fellow says this. I'd like to come and everything, but I got married. I know you told me I shouldn't have married her, and you're right. <laughs> he said, I got married a wife. He said, so I cannot come. Now, at first I thought he might be telling the truth because some, some fellows get married like that. But then I thought about this. He's a liar. How do I know that? Because you can't find me a woman in this room or any room in the world that is going to say no to a big formal dinner with a free formal dress. Is that right? You better believe it. <laughs> that servant comes with a $1,000 looking dress. He said, here's, 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 here's the deal. For free, if you're sorry, good for nothing, lazy husband will just come to dinner. If he'll come, you're going to get a free formal dress, some new high heels, give you an excuse to put on makeup and WD-40, and we're going to go eat at this table, and we're going to have the best food you ever heard of in your life. You better believe she's going to look at Ralph and say, Ralph, we're going to dinner, man. She's not going to sit on the house and watch Desperate Housewives of, of Rossville, Georgia. You know what I mean? She's going to go to dinner and she's going to make him go, drag him by the nose ring if he wants and make sure he's there to sit at dinner. So you remember that fellow's throwing his wife. That's a sorry dog right there. Either he's a liar or he is so effeminate and impact that he's the problem either way. You can tell her I said so in a minute. So they said no. Now, something happens. Next there's a meeting. There's a table spread, there's food on them, and there's wedding garments for everyone who will come. They all said, now nah, we're not interested in it. Think about it. Here's the problem. They're so backslidden they can't even get blessed. 
They got so many secular excuses. They won't sell out. They don't want to go to Sunday night. They don't want to come Wednesday. I mean, they don't want to get too crazy with this Christianity thing. They think, well, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I kind of, I'd rather, you, you, you keep the steak. I'll take the oxen. You, you, you keep whatever else. I, I, I'll get a little bit of this house. You can have whatever's on the table. We're a little bit busy with the things of this world, self-absorbed, self-assured, short-sighted, secular mind, bunch of dignified lies. Take it to somebody else. Too full of something to get full of that. Oh my. So that servant comes back and says, Master, I understand, man. You're, you're a great man, a gracious man, and a giving man. Whosoever can come. He said, I tell you what, I went to those sorry dogs. I went to Deacon so and so and brothers. I'm just kidding. He said, I went to all those fellows out there. And they offered me excuses, one right after the other, and said, The man got mad. He said, So here's what I want you to do. He makes a motion. He said, I want you to go out quickly. He said, you know why? He said, because I don't want to waste time and it ought to take them forever to decide if it's better to sit down at the table with me or go out there into the world. He said, so I want you to go out quickly and here's who you go to. He said, I want you to go out into the streets and lanes of the city. And he said, don't stay in my neighborhood. I want you to go to the other side of the tracks here. I want you to go out there into the streets and the lanes of this city and here's who I want you to get. Now you think about this. I want you to bring in the poor, the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. Here's what he's saying. If that crowd over there didn't want it, then I'm going to try out that crowd over there. If those folks don't care, maybe those folks will care. They might not be hungry, but maybe that crowd over there is hungry and I can see that servant. He, he's an he's a, he's a open invitation. He is an equal opportunity inviter to this feast. Whoever wants to come, man, they're welcome to come. But he changes the crowd now. He said that crowd, well, they were too wrapped up in themselves. That crowd was too blessed to be blessed. That crowd was too busy for me. That crowd was too full of themselves to get filled with what I had for them. So take it to somebody who might know they need it. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to get all these garments. I said, I want you to get that wedding garment, put it on your shoulder and carry it out there with you. He said, I want you to find a blind man. I want you to find a beggar. I want you to find someone who's broken by this life. I want you to find them and see if maybe they want to sit at my table. I can see that servant going out. There's a blind man sitting there. He can't see anything in this life. And all of a sudden the servant said, I've got business with you today. And that blind man said, you don't even know me. He said, that's all right. My master called you by name. He said, look for a blind man. He said, and I'm looking for you. He said, there's a table spread. And there's the best of the best on that table. Everything you could ever imagine is waiting for you there. He said, I came to invite you to supper with the master. He said, well, I'd like to come. But I can't come wearing this. He said, don't you worry about it. I got you covered. My master sent something to wrap you in. And he said, if you'll put it on, you can go with me to the table. He takes that garment, wraps that old blind man in it. He begins to lead that blind man down the lanes of the city. Over there's a beggar. Can you see him there? He's got a little cup held out looking for alms and everybody passes him by. I can see that blind man behind that servant. That servant goes out and says, I'm looking for you. He said, you're not looking for me. You don't even know who I am. He said, what's your name? He said, my name is Beggar. He said, I'm looking for you. He said, my master called you by name. He said, I'm looking for a beggar that wants to come to the table. He said, I wonder if you'd like to have some food like you've never had before. I wonder if you'd like to have some fellowship like you've never had before. I wonder if you'd like to be part of a family like you've never been in before. He said, if you'll come to the table, there's a seat for you. He said, but I don't got the first thing to wear. He said, that's all right. I got it covered. He said, blind man, hand me a garment. 
Uh, he said, nah. he said, give me a wedding garment. He gets another one, wraps it around that old beggar. Now, can you see that train starting? There's a, a servant there dragging a blind man, held on to a beggar, and they're going down the streets of the city. Then they come to a crippled man. That crippled man can't crawl his way anywhere. He surely can't walk his way anywhere. There's no way he can work his way anywhere. He just lays there by the side of the lane of the city. That servant goes to him and said, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute. He said, you don't have any business with me. You don't know who I am. He said, who are you? He said, I'm a crippled man. He said, no, I'm looking for you. My master called you by name. You see, he planned a big party, but the rich folk didn't want it, and the fulfilled folks didn't want it, and the worldly folks didn't want it, so maybe you'll want it. He's got a table spread like you've never seen before. he got a seat there with your name on it. I don't care what happened to you. I just know what's going to happen if you'll come. He said, I don't have anything to wear. He said, I got you covered. He said, if you'll let me, I can pick you up and wrap you in a wedding garment. And here goes that crowd. Man, they were covered in rags. They were covered in their poverty. They were covered in their affliction. And now they're wrapped up in a wedding garment that was provided by a great man. And there's the servant leading them all the way. They didn't have to find their own, they didn't have to find their own way to the house. They didn't have to get their own directions. There was a servant that led them every step of the journey. Can you see that train of people going past the big houses? That crowd that said no, they look out their window and say, what in the world is that man doing? There's a blind man and a beggar and there's a crippled man being carried by them all. What in the world is going on? Where are they going? They're going to where you should have been. That's where they're going. They carry him into the master's house. Now look in that big house, that banquet room there, that table spread, the best of the best like they've never seen. And they sit down at that table and there they are, those ornate chairs, a blind man sitting there. Can you see him? And a, a broken man sitting there. Can you see him? A beggar sitting there. Can you see him? And there's that great man at the head of the table. And he looks around and says, wait a minute. Still some empty seats. Now I'm glad these men are here, but I kind of like to be filled up. Because I just want to show them I can provide for however many come. He said, so let's do something extreme. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, there's still room. So verse 23 says, now here's what I want you to do. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them. I'm like, he didn't say compel the beggar or the blind. He said them. He said, just anybody you find who's further out than they ought to be, deeper down than they should ever get, <laughs> in places nobody else wants to hang out. He said, I want you to find that crowd, compel them to come in. Oh my, now you see that servant? He said, whew, it's been a long day. I've been walking all over this city looking for people that nobody else wants. But I can smell the food from here, so I'm going to hurry. Table spread, that blind man's sitting there, that beggar's sitting there, that crippled man's leaned up in his chair, all of them wearing a wedding garment, and they're just waiting to see who else will come. And he said, I want you to go up to the highways and the hedges. You know what's in the highways and hedges? That's where the thieves are hiding out out there. That's where the prostitutes are lurking around out there. That's where those strangers are at that don't have anywhere to call their home. That's where those folks are wandering that don't have any direction. That's a crossroads. That's highways and hedges. That's an area of life where you just don't know where to turn or where to go. You go out there, you might lose your life. He said, I want you to go out to that 
crowd that's been condemned by the law, that's been convicted by their conscience, whoa, that's in chains of their sin. He said, I want you out to that crowd who's so far down they know who they are, what they've done and where they're from. He said, but I want you to go out to that crowd. Can you see it now? As that servant goes out, he's got more wedding garments on his arm. He goes and there he is. There's that thief out there. He's hiding from the law. The law's on him every day of his life. He knows he's broken it. He knows he's condemned. He's doing his best to hide from it. And that servant goes to where he is. He said, I want to talk to you. That thief said, I didn't do it. Whatever it is, I didn't do it. He said, no, not about that. He said, I want to tell you about a great man that has a great table spread. And he's got an empty seat at the table. And here's what he said. He said, go out to the highways and the hedges. He said, that's where we are. He said, you're the first one I found. I want to tell you, you're invited to a supper. If you'll just take a seat at the table. I can see that old thief, man. He must have been broken. I never had a meal like that. I've never been shown kindness like that. I've never had an opportunity like that. He said, if you will, I'm going to give you a wedding garment. And that old thief puts on that wedding garment, begins to follow that servant. They walk, and then there's a prostitute there. This woman goes to the well at weird times of the day. She didn't want anybody to know what her life is. She's hiding out there in the highways and hedges. And that servant goes to her. He said, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know all about it. But my master said to go to the highways and the hedges. And that's where I am. And that's who you are. And I want you to know he's got a table spread. And if you're hungry and you want to come, you can come sit at his table. She said, I can't go in there. I don't have anything to wear. He said, honey, I got you covered. And he takes a wedding garment and wraps it around her. Then he sees someone else out there. I don't know who it is. He sees somebody so bent up and broken by this world. A stranger passing through. They don't know where their home is. They don't know what direction to turn. They're just out there wandering in the wilderness. He said, I got plans for tonight. He said, there's a table spread at the master's house. And if you'll come, you can have a seat at that table, but you got to make the decision. Are you hungry or not? Do you want to come? And he wraps him in a wedding garment. Now here's the parade. Here's that thief with a prostitute and a stranger holding on to the back of a servant. And he's, they don't have to find their own way. He directs them. And they get all the way there to the master's house. Here they come walking through. I see him going through that, sitting down at that table. There's a blind man already there. There's a beggar already there. There's a crippled man already there. And now they're joined by this other motley crew, of outright reprobate kind of sinner people, broken people, destitute people, depraved people, people who can't do anything for themselves. They all sit down at the table, and then the master takes that bread, begins to break that bread, and pass it around, and they begin to eat at that table. Everything you could ever imagine is there. We could say it like this. There's grace on that table. There's love on that table. There is mercy on that table. There is healing on that table. There is hope on that table. There's forgiveness on that table. There's a covering on that table. There's fellowship on that table. And they get to eat until they're filled. I tell you what you and I are. That's exactly what you and I are. We can apply to salvation. We were just that way. We were blind and begging. We were broken by this world. Some of us were out there in the highways and the hedges. But I'm glad the Holy Ghost came by the servant of God. I'm glad he came to where we were. I'm glad he invited us to a dinner. I'm glad for that day I said yes to supper time. I'm glad I said yes to Jesus. And when I did, thank God I got wrapped up in a wedding garment. I got clothed in the righteousness of God. And I got to feast on the very bread of life. But here's the scary part. I like to keep preaching that part because that's the glory part. But here's the scary part. 
verse 24 none of those which were bidden the ones who said no shall taste of my supper so the decision they made made a miss out on what that other crowd got to enjoy now we could apply it to be a good salvation message and there's other application but I see it like this if we don't want it here then God will take it to where they want it if we just want to go through it I mean if we just want to show up and put in the time and go to the house and not respond and not listen and not make the effort to get right then God will say you know what I'll take it down the road I mean, I'm going to give them first shot at it because they got the right Bible and the right music. And I mean, everything looks first class and things. So maybe, maybe they want it. But if they don't want it, then I'll find some place that knows they need it. If we're not careful, we get so self-assured and self-satisfied because everything looks good, smells good, sounds good. But we're missing what we need the most. But we got to have a hunger for God. I'm glad I got a taste. I can see that blind man walking out of there. Maybe somebody leading him and saying, boy, I'm glad I got a taste of that. That old beggar said, I'm glad I got a taste of that. And those people who said no just had to hear about it. They probably say, keep your cows. You can have your house. I'm glad you have your own wife. I'm glad I got what the master could provide. I want to ask you tonight, listen, it will not be, and I don't want to discourage you from coming because I want you to, it will not be worth your time to come if you're not willing to come to the table when the Lord speaks to your heart. What we get out of a meeting is not so much contingent on God, it's always contingent on us. God sets the table, but we've got to come find our seat at it. I'm going to pray, the altar be open. Maybe tonight just be a good night to kick it off in our heart by praying something like that. Lord, help me to be open and willing and attentive to what you speak to me about. And here it is, to obey. The worst way to leave church is to go home saying, I wish I would have. The right way is to go home saying, I'm glad I did, when God speaks to our heart. I'm going to pray, altar will be open. Let's come pray around this altar tonight. Pray for revival. You have lost people on your heart. You have a need tonight, you come. Lord, I pray that you bless this invitation now. I pray you'd meet the need of the hour on this Monday night as we just sort of begin to pave the way. I pray that you'd work in our hearts this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Altar is open, folks have come. Why don't we come spend some time in prayer tonight?